with the sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters into the blessing, and nothing can keep us apart. So remember your people. enough and his strength is enough and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ which is in God which is in 
Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing. Whatever you have going on this week, today, tomorrow, it's okay. Because you're in God's love. Our God is greater than all those problems. Stronger, God, you are higher than any 
is risen, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? Then what can stand thank you for your blood that we remember this morning as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Join me in singing. Your love, oh Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the skies. Your righteousness, like mighty mountains, your justice flows like the ocean's tide. Oh, oh. 
love you for it, God. Most of all, we love you because you are our God. You are the God who supplies us with everything we need. And God, as we come to you now to be cheerfully obedient, to show our thanks to you for all the many blessings that you give us. We can only look around us this morning in this beautiful building and the clothes we wear and the food we ate this morning to remember that it all came directly from you. Let us never at least lose sight of that, God. God, take these offerings and these tithes we come to you this morning to bring and use them to the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated. Gary and I have been talking. We want to bring back something we used to do <clears throat> called the faith story. I want to reintroduce it to you. We've done one, I think, in, in December. And uh, what I'd like for you to do is pray about it. And if you have something that God said to you, spoke to you, something you need to get off your chest, or something that great has happened to you, or something bad happened to you and something great came out of it, because it always does, doesn't it? Then I want you to get a hold of us. We're easy to get a hold of. I started thinking about it this morning. Uh, I've got a Facebook. I've got a cell phone. Uh, the number is on the Facebook. Uh, I've got an email address that's easy because it's all about me, right? VanThornetMe.com. It's actually I, <laughs> funny. It's Microsoft something. Me.com. VanThornetMe.com. That's easy. Van with four ends. Van Thornton with four ends. You just figure out where to put them. Or you can uh, contact me at school. Or you can contact the church and talk to Gary. Or you can just leave your name with somebody and let them tell me. Or if you know someone that has a story to tell, we'd love to hear their, your story because it, it strengthens us. It, it builds us up as a body of believers to hear about your life and what happened. This is Mark Hand. He's our guitar player. Y'all give Mark a hand. And he's going to share with us this morning. I don't know why he chose me to be first. I think that was when he came... When he came up with this idea to bring this back, he looked at me and said, you'd be the good first one. I said, well, okay. Um, most of you know me, by but my name is Mark Hand, and um, I have a wonderful family that I love very much. And uh, they include my wife, Dawn, and uh, my daughter and son-in-law, Aaron and Adam Davis. I have a daughter that's up in Atlanta now. She's graduated recently and gotten a job, and she's living in Atlanta. That's Taylor. And uh, then I have two sons, Sam and Lucas, and um, family makes up a big part of my life. And we moved back here, um, well, we were gone for about 13 years from Tipton. Both Dawn and I were, were raised here in Tipton. And we moved away with, with, different, uh, with school and different jobs and, and eventually came back in 1995. And, and we, we took that opportunity, and what it did, it afforded us the opportunity to have 
our kids come back and, and grow up and be around their grandparents and that they love very much. And, and uh, that influence on them has been uh, remarkable. And uh, I can't describe what it's been like for them to, to be able to, to be around the grandparents. And, and they love them, and we love them a lot, too. And um, I just want to stand before you and tell you that, and I've gotten this, I guess, from going to the Celebrate Recovery meetings. They're so honest about what they do and when they present, and that I stand before you a sinner saved by grace. And uh, at 12 years old, I decided to follow the Lord, and, and since that point, I've been doing that. And I believe with all my heart that uh, everything absolutely everything good in my life has nothing to do with me but it's all because of God and the gifts that he's given me and I also believe that everything that's not so good about me is a result of my own self and my own sinful nature and that only God can can help me overcome that so before I get going on on anything I just wanted to get that out in the open and um, with the, the new year just beginning um, my Sunday school teacher, who happens to be my brother-in-law, Mark Sandifer, um, he challenged us to come up with a word or a phrase that represents an area of our lives that uh, we need to work on and improve on this year. Um, he had heard it from a, an, another church was doing this, and they were adopting a phrase or a word that, that they concentrated on during the year. And then I saw that Brother Wayne had that in, his, uh, in the, the beacon this week. Um, so... My first thoughts when he said that was, I've got too many to choose from. And I really went through a lot of soul searching with this thing. All week I've been struggling with it, um, praying to God to help me find you know, my word that I need to really work on. And uh, I came up with words like prepare, finish, uh, listen. And I'm sure that Dawn would like for me to adopt one of those <laughs> as, as my word, but they just didn't seem right. And then about 4, 30, I think it was 4.38 one morning, it, it came to me. And uh, I was awake and, and reflecting on things and, and uh, already talking to God. And, and um, he said, in tune. And I was thinking, in tune. What in the world does that mean? Well, I know that, that in music, if you're not in tune, that you're not very pleasing to listen to, and it's especially for the audience, but not even for the people that you play with. And there's been times up here where you see me moving my capo where I've actually started, been in the wrong uh, place with my capo, and I hit the chord, and I'm nowhere near where everybody else is. And man, I go, Mark, Mark, you're in the wrong key. You know, and it, it sounds terrible, and, and you may not notice it sometimes, but a lot of times you probably do and say, whoa, that doesn't sound too good. So musically, if you're not in tune, you're not, not too many people are going to continue to, listening, to listen to you. And I think spiritually the same way, if you're not in tune, then you can be just as tough to listen to, uh, you can actually be repulsive to people if you're not in tune with what God wants you to be doing. And how do you, how do you get in tune? And I think of this, of being in tune, is, is, is what, what am I representing myself to be with my, my family, with my 
uh, co-workers, with the people who depend on me to lead them each day? What, what type of tune are they hearing out of me or are they seeing in me? And um, I thought about it. I said, you know, I can't be in tune unless I'm tuned in to God. And God's the only source that you can really tune into and, and get yourself straight. You can depend on friends, you can depend on family, and that's good and, and great. But bottom line, it's God that has to lead you because um, just like... I remember back as a young kid, obviously I've always loved music, and out in the rural uh, area that I lived in, you couldn't get a whole lot of radio stations, but I had my little stereo beside my bed, and late at night you could tune in, and back then you young people don't know about turning a slider to find the radio station, but you could get 15 LAC out of Nashville, Tennessee. And, you could, and it would come in strong at night. It was great music. I loved to listen to it. But you had to keep adjusting the knob to make it to where you could hear it very well. And um, just like that with God, we have to tune in to Him. We have to make sure we're on His frequency. And how do we do that? Well, certainly there's, the givens are there. You've got to spend time in His Word. And I've got to spend time in, with God in His Word. Uh, What does the Word teach me? Well, first of all, it illuminates me to the things that are around me and helps me to see the the sin in my life and the things that I need to stay away from. Um, Also, I need that quiet time with God to stop and reflect and look at at my life. And I've done that. I do that. But I don't think that's all there is to it. I think to stay in tune and be tuned in to God, I think it has to be... a continuous thing. I don't think I can just cover myself in the morning with my quiet time and my prayers and, and, and things and hope that that's going to carry me throughout the day that I have because you know that the world that we live in, there's a lot of things going on each and every day that distract you, that get you off course, that get you uh, sometimes down a path you don't want to be. And I think God is wanting me this year to throughout my day, to stop and say, God, am I tuned in to you? And if I am tuned in to you, then hopefully I'm in tune to those that are around me, that I'm sensitive to what they're saying and what they're doing. And I hope that what it means is that if I'm doing that, that God will show me in every situation I'm in what he has me there for. And I believe that God has a purpose for us in every minute of every day of of what we're doing. We just don't take advantage of it. So that's me this year, and I hope that that my phrase, in tune, will be something that I continue to concentrate on and work through and and present myself to God in a better way this year. And hopefully that maybe I can help someone find him and have that relationship with him. Thank you. Being tuned in is, uh, is important for all of us. And I, and I hope that you will ask God to, to guide you into what focus you need to have this year. If it's a word, if it's a phrase, if it's something. I, I just don't want you to conclude 2011 without being changed in some way by God. Um, this is the Lord's Supper. 
We observe the Lord's Supper usually around the first Sunday of every quarter. Um, we alternate morning and evening. We think it's important because Jesus thought it was important. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. Paul is quoting him. <clears throat> For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, as we observe the Lord's Supper today, we are remembering your death and sacrifice and the love that sent you to the cross, and we are proclaiming it to the world through our lives, through this observance, until that wonderful day when you come again and take us home to be with you. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But in the meantime, help us to proclaim unashamedly the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord through the observance of the Lord's Supper. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a brief outline in your worship bulletin if you need it. Basically, I'm I'm just going to share some very simple things about the Lord's Supper today to get us all on the same page when it comes to observing it. Billy and Johnny were doing fine together until an outsider came along. Johnny said, let's let him stay. I think he can add something. And Billy said, no, we don't know him. He's an outsider. Johnny said, yes, but but what harm is it going to do? We can incorporate him and and learn something from him and, and he from us. Billy said, no, I don't trust him. He could have a past. He could have something in his background that we aren't aware of. We can't let him play with us. Well, the two, Billy and Johnny, never could agree, so they ended up going their separate ways. It sounds like two children playing a game in 21st century, doesn't it? Actually, it's two adults having a theological debate in 17th century England. Billy is William Kiffin. William Kiffin was uh, responsible for, or involved in a lot of the Baptist Statements of Faith in 17th Century England. Johnny is John Bunyan, who spent 12 years in prison for his Baptist convictions and wrote a little book called Pilgrim's Progress that is said to have been published more than any other book in the history of the world except the Bible, second only to the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress. And what John Bunyan and William Kiffin were arguing over was who should be welcome at the Lord's table. Basically, William Kiffin said, only members of our church whom we know are properly baptized should be welcome at the Lord's table. John Bunyan said, no, anybody who is a follower of Christ should be welcome at the Lord's table. And the two argued and argued, and it was a debate that had been going on for hundreds of years because 200 years earlier, 
You remember the name Bloody Mary in England? 1555 to 1558, this is how she got her name. Uh, She put 288 Protestants to death. Actually, she burned them at the stake because they refused to believe what she wanted them to believe about the Lord's Supper. Bloody Mary was a Catholic, and she wanted to lead the Church of England back to Catholicism. Basically, in Catholicism, when you observe the Lord's Supper and the priest pronounces the words of consecration, Catholics believe that the bread and the cup actually become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Protestants say, not the actual body and blood, but they symbolize the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Well, if you didn't say that they actually became the body and blood of Jesus Christ, Bloody Mary burned you at the stake. And of that 288, that was bishops, it was archbishops, it was women, children, anybody who refused to agree with her about what the elements represented. All that to say that emotions run high when it comes to beliefs about the Lord's Supper. Because it is so important, it is so precious to Christians of all ages. We Baptists believe that the Lord's Supper is an ordinance. And by that, I mean it was ordained by Jesus Christ. Two ordinances we observe in the Baptist church today, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Ordained means commanded. Jesus commanded us to baptize. He commanded us to observe the Lord's Supper. So he ordained them and their ordinances for us. And every church does the Lord's Supper differently. Even Baptist churches do the Lord's Supper differently. I had one lady from another church who said she had been a member of her Baptist church for seven or eight years, and they had only observed the Lord's Supper once in that time period that she could remember. Some churches observe it every Sunday. As I mentioned, we observe it once a quarter, unless there's a a special emphasis, maybe during Easter, during Holy Week, or something like that, where we want to bring a special focus on the Lord's Supper and Jesus' sacrifice for us. But this morning I want to say just a few things because it is so important, because people gave their lives over what they believed about it. I want us to to think about some things that most Baptist churches have in common when it comes to observing the Lord's Supper. And the first thing is, we believe the Lord's Supper is symbolic. As I said, the Catholic Church believes when the priest utters the words of consecration that they actually become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We Baptists believe that rather than becoming the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that it it symbolizes the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for us. But as soon as I say symbolize, do not underestimate the importance of symbol. I hardly ever go to a wedding anymore when there's not uh, a, a time in the ceremony when the wedding ring is exchanged. The wedding ring represents the love that encircles these two couples. It represents the future that they are going to share together for the rest of their lives. Wedding rings are symbols, but don't ever underestimate the importance of that symbol. I'm going to say a a story here in the 830 service that does not need to get back to Susan. Uh, When we were first married, she was losing her wedding ring all the time. Uh, She'd take it off to to wash clothes or wash dishes or vacuum the house or do laundry, and she'd misplace it. And so one time I found it, and I hid it. 
And uh, when, uh, when I finally gave it to her, so, you know, just how can I say this delicately? She was uh, agitated with me. And, and I said, but honey, it's just a ring. And, and through tears, she said, you told me when we got married that it was more than a ring. It symbolizes more than a ring. It symbolizes our relationship, our love, our marriage. Um, during the, I love watching the, the medal ceremony during the Olympics. You remember the Winter Olympics in Vancouver? And, and the American flag is just cotton fabric with red, white, and blue dye. When they raise that American flag, and if American wins gold at an Olympics, don't tell that Olympian that has spent most of his or her life preparing for that event that it's just a symbol. You can watch their faces. And, and I still get goosebumps hearing the, the national anthem being played as that flag is being raised. Don't tell the thousands of American men and women who have served in our armed forces and given their lives for that flag that it's just a symbol. Because a symbol represents something so important that words by themselves can't convey. It is sacred. It is important. So when I say the bread and the cup are symbols, I want you to understand how important that symbol can be, like a ring, like the flag. It symbolizes something so sacred that words alone cannot communicate. That's the first thing we hold in common about the Lord's Supper is it's symbolic. The second thing that's, that's remarkable about the Lord's Supper and about so many things that God does in the Bible is that he takes what is common, what is everyday, what is commonplace, and he infuses it with something holy. He takes bread and juice. He takes fellowship around the table and sharing, and he says this is something Important. This is something significant. And God has a way of doing that, taking something commonplace and infusing it with new meaning. That's what he's done with the Lord's Supper. There wasn't anything too much more common than bread and wine in Jesus' day. And he said, wait a minute. From now on, when you observe this meal, this is not going to be just a piece of bread and a cup of juice. This bread is going to represent my body, which is broken for you. And this juice is going to represent my blood, which is shed for you. Years ago, a few years ago, when I was a youth minister up in Decatur, we had a, a lockout all night, and we climbed Stone Mountain. I couldn't do that today if I wanted to. But uh, when you got to the top, it's, it's not that far. It's just a pretty steady climb uphill. When you get to the top, you know... We were there, it's probably early morning hours. Somebody had the bright idea, let's observe the Lord's Supper. The only problem was nobody came prepared with the elements. We didn't have unleavened bread or, or those little wafers, and we sure didn't have any juice. But somebody had a loaf of white bread, I guess a, maybe a sandwich they'd brought or something, and, and we had some little paper cups at a water fountain. So we got out that white bread, and we got those paper cups, and we passed it around, and it was amazing what, what transpired. A holy moment 
where youth who were concerned about peer pressure, fitting in, worried about their future and what it might hold, wondering what other people thought about them and how they came across. And the adults, the chaperones, were just astounded that these youth who were so, so loud and boisterous and talkative and had their, they didn't have iPhones or iPads, or, or, but we had earphones and little radios and, and cassette players and those kinds of things, how all of those became silent. And sitting on top of Stone Mountain that early morning, God was present in those elements that symbolized the body and blood of Jesus Christ. God does that all the time. He takes what is common and infuses it with new meaning and makes it holy. He did that for Moses with a ram. He did that for the psalmist with a herd of sheep in a valley and a rod and staff. He did that with uh, Moses and a burning bush. He did it with Isaiah when he had a worship experience in the temple. He did it for the apostles when they gathered in the upper room and had some bread and a cup. Just a fellowship meal. But for them, it transcended what they were doing and represented the holiness of Almighty God present there with them. Because that day, Jesus said, this is not just a meal anymore, but this is preparing you to follow me and to serve me because it's going to remind you of my sacrifice that's going to happen tomorrow. And then ever since that first meal, when we observe it, we look back on that sacrifice on Good Friday and the resurrection on Sunday and that day in the future. We proclaim it until he comes again. So it's symbolic. It takes what's common and makes it holy. And thirdly, we observe the Lord's Supper and something we all have in common is that it reminds us of what's important. It reminds us of something so precious that we should never forget it. That's why Jesus ordained it. He didn't want... This meal, which he observed in the upper room on Thursday night, to be a one-time event, and then a couple hundred years later, some people come along and, and repeat it and, and, and scratch their heads and wonder, what's this supposed to mean? What are we doing this for? What does it represent? Jesus wanted us to remember what it was because it was so important. And we do rituals like that all the time to remind us of things that are important. We have birthdays. To remember the day we were born and to celebrate it. We, if you're married, you have an anniversary. You ought never forget that date. If you have family reunions, you know how important family reunions are because they, it's an opportunity to come together as a family and remind you that you are connected to a larger group of people and how important those people are to you. So we do rituals like that all the time to remind us of things that are important. But the Lord's Supper is not just a ritual. It is an event that celebrates something so important. Jesus said we must never forget.
I guess we could have just preached about it and taught about it, but Jesus knew that our words and our our experiences were would always be insufficient to communicate how great a sacrifice he made for us. Words alone would never be sufficient. And so he gave us a picture sermon, something that you can see with your eyes and touch with your hands and smell and taste and communicate in ways that words alone never could. So the Lord's Supper for us is a symbol that points to something far greater, has common elements that remind us of what's holy, and it is something that must never be forgotten. We're here to observe it. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to, to remember what you did for us, Help us see this piece of bread and this cup as precious symbols of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Of how he took something so common in every place and and elevated it to something so precious that we would remember for 2,000 years and for how many other years it will be until you come again. Because we believe it's so important. It must never be forgotten. Be with us now in the midst of what we do and remind us of your love and sacrifice. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He that opens that door and invites me, and I will come in and dine with him and he with me. This do in remembrance of me. just read Paul records Jesus words for I received from the Lord what I also delivered unto you that the night when the Lord Jesus was betrayed took bread when he had given thanks he broke it and said do this in remembrance of me shall we pray father as we gather around this table simple fellowship around a meal and yet you remind us that in doing so We are recalling an event so transcendent in history that it cut it in half and will always be B.C. and A.D. because Jesus came. Father, as we receive this bread, let it remind us of your body that was broken to pay the penalty for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to sing with me if you'd like to.
bread that came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. So take and eat. In the same way, in that upper room, Jesus took a cup, and having held it up among his disciples, this said, this is the blood, my blood, which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So take and drink. Well, that's a good problem to run out of cups for the Lord's Supper. For those of you who didn't receive them in the back, um, 
That does not diminish our unity in Jesus Christ whatsoever. We are grateful for your presence. We're grateful for the love of Christ that makes this observance possible. And we offer it to him. It's said that they sang a hymn in the upper room before departing. And we would want to do the same here. We're going to sing the wonderful cross. And it's an opportunity, a time of decision and commitment. If in response to Jesus' great sacrifice for you, you'd like to profess your faith publicly or join our church or um, rededicate your life or come forward and pray. If there's any decision that you've made privately that you need to share publicly, now's the time to do it. And I'll be here to receive you. Let's stand together and sing. Yeah. When I saw.